Welcome to the Casually Serious Podcast with Bob and Cannabis Cowboy and Deadman. Today's episode three of four, the music episode. so hard doesn't it love it man love it <laughs> hey man shout out to dr brian russell for that badass intro track to the, ca- the casually serious podcast i'll tell you what man my, i was floored man obviously we know how much of a badass he is on guitar but the dude just straight up made like a metal track for us man so shout out to our brother for that man thank you so much thanks how you doing, man? i'm doing great tonight man how you doing I'm good, man. I'm relaxed. I got some. I got a little bit of better lighting. Hopefully, I don't look like a human incarnation of a Smurf tonight. Maybe just a little <laughs> bit more maroon. Um, but Vampire like, Bob, Vampire Bob in the house. So it looks like we've got a few people coming in and hanging out with us right now. Thank you so much, guys, for showing up. Um, Today's it's uh, actually three of our four part series, and we've covered some of the other uh, politics and sports and the yada yada yadas but now we're kind of getting into the meat of it all and we're going to speak today about uh how uh, music is impacted by cannabis and and vice versa if i'm being honest um but uh you know ken's going to take us on a little bit of a trip right now through some decades and we're going to talk about really how it applies to music the creative process pop culture um and even in some cases um you know making a certain strain popular so you know without further ado ken man just dive in man if you have anything you want to say before you go if not just jump on in man let's get it going definitely want to thank everybody for joining us tonight uh we're super excited to be here on our third episode already of this four-part series of the 360 degrees of cannabis it's uh it's been a lot of fun kind of working on this particular project and look forward to getting into the uh to the next steps that we're going to do here so uh, this particular one obviously is extremely important to 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 both of us and and a lot of our group growing up because music was just so important in our lives and when you when you have friends that kind of feel the same way as you that music is tied to emotions that you're not afraid to talk to a friend and tell them man I cried at that concert last night and and you didn't cry because they played some lovey-dovey song that gave you a connection <laughs> from back when you were at you know prom you're crying because you feel the music it's it's absolute happiness it's it's beyond happiness it's just a feeling that's almost indescribable uh, when you actually get tears in your eyes because you're so amazed of what's what you're watching hearing and feeling in front of you Some people don't make that connection to music all the time. Some folks don't hear music in that way. But I think a lot of what we do here also comes from how we feel. And that connection is what makes music so incredible, where you can hear certain songs and it can immediately bring you back to a place, uh, remind you of a person or a situation. And, And that type of connection to music is where I think it's extremely relevant to what we're talking about with cannabis because cannabis truly is a drug that's going to help you to basically feel music a little differently because cannabis interacts with the area of the brain that processes auditory stimuli. So it can be shown to affect how 
you keep rhythm, how you recall song lyrics, how you notice subtle differences in pitches and variations of music. It, cannabis causes the ability to kind of blur that line between auditory and visual sensations and interpretations. So you're able to kind of ingest so much at a concert where you're seeing and you're hearing and you're feeling and you're doing this with so many people around you. You know, cannabis acts kind of like a psychoacoustic enhancer. So you really hear higher sound frequencies more so than if you're not on cannabis. And that that's the difference where people, oh, let's, you're just going to get stoned and listen to Pink Floyd or whatever, because it's going to just mellow you out. But it's more than that. It's really more than that, because this can happen with any type of music, you know, and I'm someone who listens to a large, vast array of different music. So I could be at a fish show where everyone's kind of just chill and doing their own little thing in their own little world, but they're all smoking cannabis. And I can go to a Slayer concert and that same group still smoking cannabis, but it's just a different energy. And those kind of energies is what I think relaxes our minds, regardless of the music that's being played. And it makes it easier for our brains to make that kind of neurological connection that helps us process how we think and how we feel about a particular piece of music. And quick timeline, because I don't think at the end of the day, you can talk about cannabis and music in America without mentioning jazz. And you know, Bob and I aren't going to be the leaders on jazz music. We're not going to start throwing a bunch of a bunch of names and uh, a bunch of standards. If, if you want two guys to do it, it might as well be two drummers, right? Yeah, right. That's true. That is true. But at the same time, that said, ton of respect, obviously, for the music. And it, it's something that's so innovative that it really kind of goes past some people. And they don't really get it because they don't quite understand what's happening. And that to me is kind of what leads into this quick kind of timeline of how music and cannabis in America were related. Because you take it all the way back to the 1900s, you get into the time where marijuana kind of first worked its way into the United States, mostly through Mexico and the Caribbean islands. So it was landing in a lot of the Southern states. Um, it, to white people, it was a very low class drug at that time. It was mostly criminals and minorities. It, it was not something that was associated with, with, with white people in general. So that was more regulated to the smaller minority crowd. So when cannabis found its way to New Orleans in particular, that's really where the birth of jazz occurred. And these were musicians that were generally just kind of playing and stretching time and rhythm. They were fitting more beats per second into their music than what the sheet music read. So we're, any formally trained musician could look at sheet music and can play sheet music and play the notes that they see. It was different with these guys because they were trying to still play that music, but they were fitting so much more in between beat one and beat two. And they were being encouraged by the other players in the groups to, to do that and to improvise and to really get out there and see what you can do with the music and see how you can jazz it up, which is essentially where that came from. And that, that, that word came from, that brought us something that America invented. This was this is the birthplace of jazz in the United States, which in turn brought us into the 40s, the 50s. It brought us into the era of the beatniks. It brought us into the era of uh, songwriters that, that kind of blurred uh, poetry with music, like Bob Dylan, where he used imagery and sound and distorted that. And he did that from his own words after experimenting with cannabis. It was 
cannabis that brought him to the realization that you could blur those lines. And of course, having watched what happened with jazz music, he just he just saw this and was able to incorporate this so much more. And it, it doesn't just lie with Dylan. There's so much more. But just to give a prominent example, and Dylan ultimately was the one who introduced cannabis to the Beatles in the 60s in New York. So that whole movement of that pop sound that was coming out of Britain from bands like the Beatles you really see, for those of you that know Beatles music and catalogs of their music, you, you see where that transformation started to take place when they started more experimenting with time and sound and stretching that perception to kind of get away from the standard of what was always music and just making it more about how the in, the in, individual felt and how the individual wanted to play that music that's actually when i started liking the beatles that that portion of their catalog from the beginning that sergeant pepper shit i get i get it i the yeah. love we do stuff i do not connect with but <laughs> exactly I, I totally jump on board with it man absolutely absolutely so i mean and, and obviously from from that era the 50s into the 60s obviously we know uh kind of rolls into some jam bands you started getting in the late 60s and mid 60s grateful dead um, early 70s, you get Almond Brothers, you get guys that are just out there that were just jamming together, but they were still doing their own thing. They were improvising. They were doing so much more that went away from this, from, from just your standard, here's my three and a half minute song and I'm going to play it this way every time. This is the difference. And Cannabis actually added so much to just the songwriters, not not so much to to the listener as much as the songwriter was able to kind of know what they were trying to get across but it didn't always come across that way because if you weren't using cannabis you might not have kind of felt that so much you might have been what what am i hearing what is this guy doing this is noise this isn't music and sometimes it takes the going beyond and listening a little bit more and the difference uh to to, to quote white men can't jump between listening and hearing is actually a very big difference so to, to be able to hear something versus listen to something uh, I think most of you that have, have uh, experimented with cannabis and music, I remember being a young person experimenting with cannabis and Pink Floyd. I'm sure I'm on a long list of people that... What the hell? <laughs> I was saying, hey man, this is it. This is where I want to be. Stoned in my room with the lights off, black lights on, and dark side playing. Yeah, there's definitely a place, a good place, and, and great memories attached to gigantic headphones um really really bad press stinky press bud from uh from somewhere in kendall florida and just kind of sitting back on a on, on possibly a 1980s uh waterbed or whatever your bed might be just <laughs> music. you know what i mean it's been such a long time since that happened man so right. i mean right. how much further are we talking really with, with that with that timeline well, I mean, so so of course that brought us through the '60s into the '70s with this music, and 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 now by this time everybody knows what cannabis is. You've got the the, the '60s movement, you got the Vietnam movement, you've got so much happening where cannabis is is becoming more not just so much prominent within the within the mainstream, but it's also becomes a, a political issue. Obviously, uh, Nixon was was adamantly against marijuana at the time. He thought it was the the single worst thing that was tearing apart families. He actually even had a commission put together when he was in office to study the effects of, of, of cannabis. The commission, his own commission, came back stating there's nothing harmful here and it should be decriminalized. <laughs> he basically tore that up. It supposedly never saw the light of the day until after his administration and he went full on on the war on drugs. 
which of course was compounded by Reagan, as we know, into the 80s. And, and that's kind of politically where cannabis was at. But as its effect on music, you know, I still feel like that had so much to do in the beginning with what it did with jazz, with what it did with, with the beatniks and with the poetry writers in the 60s and how it affected bands like Pink Floyd, Beatles, and, and bands that kind of just changed the way that they kind of saw and played music as well. And all of that played into the music of today. And as you got into where, okay, marijuana is becoming more accepted, but it's still a bit of a stigma when mentioned in songs or if it's going to be talked about one way or the other. So bands started to, you know, do it more and more to the point where it got more comfortable and it wasn't a stigma anymore. And, and you know, if somebody lit up on stage, you know, and it, and they're going to jail, you know, the, which, which happened plenty, Jim Morrison, right here in Miami, um, you know, those kind of things weren't happening anymore, but it took those things to happen to those guys in the beginning for those those trailblazers essentially to not only conform people's look in the mainstream about cannabis but also to see how it actually did affect what the music is like today because most all of today's music has some effects or ranges from or, or jazz music early rock music and and today's hip-hop and rap just is continuing that maybe not even today's 80s and 90s hip-hop and rap and into today is still continuing that and and we see it more even in some new music that i am not very familiar with <laughs> you know and and i'm glad that you say that because right at the time when i was putting together we were putting together the promo for this show um i i really wanted to make sure that we sort of stopped at the beginning of the turn of the millennium because if i'm being honest I really don't know if my musical taste evolved much further than that. There, there are some bands now that I can speak about uh, that I that I dig that are pretty cool, but I, I don't get I, I don't feel the way I felt for them. And I really start I, you start figuring out as you get older what the older people were like when you were younger. How you started saying you know how was it? Why is it always in my day and in my day and stuff like that? And, it, and when, it, when it comes to music, you really have to you have to really do that, you know. And, and right. taken from where you were coming from, ending in the eighties. Um, I'll push forward a little bit to the 90s where um, there was a big, big, big shift in terms of the, um, I, I don't want to say sp speaking about cannabis, but the acceptability of cannabis within musical content. And I mean, outright cannabis content. And and for that, I'm just going to speak about Cypress Hill for a little bit. Um, when Cypress Hill sort of came on the scene, there was already a big sort of mixture of different kinds of hip hop coming in and out, uh, gangster rap. You've got your knowledge rap. You've got, you know, sort of like your, your breakbeat rap and all kinds of different kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, when they were kind of coming in and, uh, and, 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 and wanted to make a mark, they really leaned on the fact that they were heavily influenced by cannabis and the cannabis that they smoked was like you were saying, they were listening to the, to, to, to old jazz music. And cause you, you can hear a lot of the samples and, and DJ mugs uh, samples and stuff like that. They're all about that yep. jazz and that stuff that you were just speaking on. And they found really creative ways to incorporate it. Uh, sort of a la Hank Shockley and uh, Public Enemy with the like that sort of high pitched stuff that right. I was just talking about that earlier. That high pitched noise pushes you away from the beat and into the lyrical content. And Chuck D knew that when he's talking about mind programming in some of the early uh, Public Enemy albums, that's why you hear all those noises because he wanted you to focus on what he was saying, not the music, right. not the beats. And right. Cypress Hill was sort of kind of pushing that forward but at the same time they were really pushing the cannabis music and and really i don't i can definitely say it and one of their lines is up until the summer of 91 wasn't no motherfuckers talking about smoking blunts because that's kind of exactly the truth man right around 91 when they came out cypress hill blew up philly i mean philly blunts had to have 
they just had to be so happy for Cypress Hill coming along because there were just some street cigars, nasty, you know, like Garcia Vega, just you know, 7-Eleven blunts, but yeah. they were just so prevalent and, and it was it was just so seeped in that culture that it came along with all of it. So yeah, I remember buying a Philly blunt. I team. bought a lot of their products. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was it was kind of crazy. And I never smoked a cigar in my life. You know, and I, I, I've, I've definitely rolled plenty of blunts, and it was because of them. And we were, it, you know, me and 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 and, and everybody that we were smoking with back in the day. You know, Jason and these guys, we were splitting blunts. We were acting like we were in New York. We weren't in New York, and and the stuff that we were smoking out of in Miami was mostly uh, Fonton Leaf, I believe, or um, I forgot what it was. I think I posted something about. It. I think it was Fonton Leaf, and it was just sort of like a palm leaf that we would smoke it out of because it was a, right. a Jamaican thing, but. But you this know, guy here, he could roll a joint, though. I got to say that. We'd be at parties struggling with rolling machines and dollar bills and stuff's coming up. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bob's over there like one hand, just, hey, yeah, yeah, there we go. Loved it. When you say that, we're going to, we're having a little contest tomorrow on my Square Grouper show. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to roll a white boy. I got a friend rolling a backwoods, and I think one of my buddies is going to roll like a blunt, and we're going to wow. talk about all that. But yeah, you're right. And it's because I, I learned how to roll in hurricane force winds. So <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's that the trick. That's the trick. If you can do it in hurricane force winds, you're good. But you know, it, Cypress Hill also brought forth something else. And I don't know if it was something that was on their writer for all you guys who don't know what a writer is. It's, it's what a band or an artist asks for that they must have backstage when they're performing. And almost always um, Cypress Hill had a strain called Bubba Kush. And it was, uh, and, and we come to know it now as pre 98 Bubba Kush, but back then it was just, Boba Kush because it was around in the <laughs> pre ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, so it was just called ninety. It was just called Bubba Kush, and it was a really, really good spinoff. But the thing that's different about this particular strain is, I had heard about it for so long, but I it just escaped my mind by the time I became medically legal, and then it was presented to me by Wellspring, which is now Good Chemistry, where I still shop. Um, from the the then general manager named Evan, he was like, "You've got to try this. It's called pre ninety eight Bubba Kush." And then something clicked in my head. I'm like. Is that that Cypress Hill weed? And he's like, yes. Mm-hmm. He looked at me like, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, he's like, it's not Cypress Hill's weed. I go, I understand. It's what they made. It's popular. And it smelled like coffee and it tasted like skunk. And it was just the best medical cannabis. So as I go back to that, I'm thinking to myself, wow, like I was able to go 15, 20 years and forget about that strain unless it had been introduced at a party. And then all of a sudden, when I, when I heard the name, it automatically, boom, Cypress Hill pops up. And I'm like, shit, that's a pretty big connection. You made a very big impact on my mind. If I can think about your band specifically because of a strain of cannabis. And one of the shows that I remember was the uh, was the uh, Soul Assassins tour where they came with um, House of Pain and Funk Dubiest. And that was really one of the first concerts I ever went to at Bayfront um, Amphitheater um, that, I, that was just a massive weed fest. Like I had been smoking cannabis with you and friends and everything growing up and that's cool. And we smogged and we did our share of all that but I had never seen a whole concert blaze up like I did that night, even though there was uh, it wound up getting canceled because of the rain and all that shit. But it was just one of those things where it was a specific vacuum in time where it is almost like Cypress Hill was responsible for saying, look, dude, if you can sit here and say in your music that you just split somebody's head open and their blood's leaking on the floor and you slapped a bitch and you did this and you did all this, why can't I talk about smoking weed? And why right. can't I, why can't chill I and listen to music and not and being angry? angry. <laughs> taking it a little bit further and lighting up on stage and like, you know, like, and for some reason they didn't get fucked with a lot. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't cause they were gang affiliated either. Cause they were, but it was really more because it was just like, they weren't, you know, that wasn't the group that's going to start shit. 
you don't see people getting shot at Cypress Hill concerts. You know what I right. mean? And not right. to sound stereotypical, but you know, I would imagine Ice Cube or someone might have get rushed on stage if they decided to light up a joint as opposed to Cypress Hill because just because of what came along with all that. But right. It was just one of those. It was a crazy time where you know you it, music could be molded and and it, it, there could be a huge incorporation of cannabis. And I can I can truly say that because of Cypress Hill and the way that they had the nuts to just kind of come out and just say, hey, look, this is what we do, man. We're not hurting anybody. We're not drinking forties and driving. You know, we're smoking blunts, hanging out, talking about maybe robbing you, possibly whatever the case may be. But it was still sort of tongue in cheek, and, and it was it gave a lightheartedness to it all. And you know, I, I have to say that if it wasn't for them, some of these the, the guys right now that are in hip hop, which I think is a far departure from what you and I would actually call hip hop, um, they're still able to talk about it. And, and right. not only that, these guys are actually opening up their own dispensaries. They're starting their own strains of cannabis. I mean, that's a whole different show. Um, Nas and, and Jay-Z and these guys coming in and actually putting in big money into a cannabis brand. Um which is something that's another, like I said, another show, but that's, that just kind of shows you how all of this has been connected all the way back to jazz. And we can talk about the incorporation of jazz in hip hop and metal and things like that. And like Ken said, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily may, matter what show you're at, man. Cannabis is probably going to be there. I mean, I've smoked it at every concert I've been to and I've seen, you know, Sarah McLaughlin with the Colorado symphony orchestra smoked weed there. Um, you know, I don't know if there's ever a concert I went to that I didn't smoke at. You know what I mean? Okay. And like you said, when, when, when doing a little bit of, of show research, I, I came across uh, a little story about Carl Sagan, the uh, astronomer, the famous exactly. astronomer. So Carl Sagan actually had said in one of his uh, biographies that uh, he used marijuana to listen to music. I mean, here's an astronomer doing his thing, very knowledgeable man, uh, very obviously well-educated and he would use it to listen to his favorite music, which was classical. And he would say that when he would use marijuana, he was able to hear the music so much differently. And again, this is not one of my stronger uh, genres of music with classical, but I guess there's layers of music within there. And, and the way they kind of put these pieces together, he said he was listening to classical his whole life until he used marijuana and would listen and said he actually dissected the music in a way that he was never able to hear. It was almost like a light going off, just, oh my God, I just found a whole new dimension to the music. So I just thought that was interesting coming from, from him in particular, um, but but I get it and I think people get it. And it, it's not that you're smoking at shows because it's something to do. You're smoking at a show because really getting into that mindset helps you feel that music in a different way. And I don't know if I'm speaking for everybody or even friends of mine in a group when we go out and do it. Maybe it's different for them. But for me, I'll find myself a lot of times at concerts with my eyes closed. I mean, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have my, not the whole show, obviously, but I mean, I'll have times where there's parts of the music where I'm feeling it to where my eyes are shut. I might look like a fool moving in some kind of weird, funky way because I have no rhythm or anything. But I don't care because the music's in me and I'm feeling it in such a way that being sober i would probably still 100 percent enjoy the music don't get me wrong but it just takes a different effect on you in a very to me positive way and and, and more of an intrinsic way you know and I, I before we got on i think i was wearing a slayer shirt i decided to switch it up my brother got me this one because i didn't get to go to the r40 show but rush was one of those concerts out at red rocks that i, I got i was lucky enough to see him two times out there uh, that that exactly like that where i remember 
you know, taking a couple hits, you know, passing it to the bro, my bro, and 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 you know, and then and just kind of like I think it might have been during one of the last shows where so Vital Signs I think is when they did uh, moving pictures front to back, and Vital Signs is one of my great uh, one of my favorite cuts of theirs. It's just really low key and very like keyboardy and very odd, but um, yeah. I just remember closing my eyes and and those are the times that I'm thinking about where like I had to open my eyes because if not I would have just started crying. <laughs> because it's just one of those like you can't you can't you can't think that when you're a kid listening to this stuff in your headphones that at one point they'll be in front of you and you and, and you know and you actually are at a concert because I don't you know I can speak for a lot of people by saying I, I grew up opening you know the open folds of Kiss uh, concerts and going damn I want to see that kind of concert you know <laughs> I just assumed every concert was like that you know like and, and it was fire and blood and this is yeah, great. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily like that but but you know and obviously you know, rest in peace, Neil Peart. He just passed away. It was just a year, um, which is another reason I got the shirt on. But, you know, it, it speaks to the movement, the moving of the music to your body. And, you know, I've come across people where I ask them, who's your favorite band? And sometimes I hear people say, I don't listen to music. And I don't know what kind of mother you are to have that be in your life. Who hurt you? I don't know what that means. I don't know what kind of person just doesn't listen to music. Um, right. You frightened me, whoever you were. Right. Um, right. You and it could have been the way they were brought up too. I mean, I, I know with my daughter, uh, we, there's music constantly. We have music when we eat dinner every night. I mean, that's more just because I don't like listening to myself or other people eat, but still, <laughs> there's music in our house constantly. Um, yes. I have music, you know, whole home system. So music is on <laughs> always. My daughter's singing, humming, all different types of stuff all the time and i feel like i was brought up the same way my father was a big classic rock guy i had tons of different uh, records at the time i would have my little you know play play game or the record player the little jokey one for kids but i'm putting <laughs> you know elvis on there and black sabbath and pink floyd i don't know why elvis was in that mix but it was he liked elvis but a okay. lot of it was <laughs> so you almost had to have I elvis I had black dog 45 and i mean i jammed that all the time and there was just Doing that and remembering that as a young person was great. And my first show I ever saw was Three Dog Night in America at a free concert at Metro Zoo that my parents brought me to. And oh, no. I remember the show. I mean, I must have been 10, 11, I don't know. But I remember being there. I remember absolutely loving it. But the best part I remember about it was turning around and looking at my parents and seeing the smiles on their faces. F smiles and uh, that I had never seen like that like just they were just so happy just enjoying music that they loved and they grew up with and i just that feeling and seeing other adults kind of dancing and having fun and just as a kid that's kind of cool and i'm just like you know what this this is neat and to this day if i hear america or three dog night brings me right back to that moment yeah america is one of my favorite bands man and uh shout out to mr felkowski at kennel lakes elementary uh, for making sure "Horse with No Name" was one of our uh, preferred songs that we had to play. Uh, I can sing it right now, you like, you won't like. <laughs> yeah, man, that was some good stuff. Um, so you know what? Let's go ahead and get to our sponsor real quick, and then we can okay. go ahead and get to our gallery and uh, you know see see where the show takes us. So uh, All right. let's see exactly what we've got going on here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's cue it on up. How many folks out there miss live music? With all the craziness that happened in 2020, the future of live music and concerts is anything but certain. But when they do return, you better be prepared. Resin Grill Respirators has released the first COVID protective face mask with a built-in hash oil cartridge capability. They began with a COVID certified N95 filtered face mask and added their patented and discreet 
Stealth Stone oil cartridge technology that includes a built-in bendable 510 thread oil cartridge battery. Simply attach your favorite oil or wax refill to the built-in battery before wearing, and when worn, you can breathe unfiltered air through the mask while puffing on your favorite cannabis oil and concentrates. The Stealth Stone technology not only purifies the air when you breathe in, but it also freshens the air when you breathe out, so cannabis smoke is virtually undetectable in almost any setting. Choose from citrus, lavender, pine, and strawberry-scented puff pads that cover the smoke with the chosen scent upon breathing out. Gone are the days when you had to cover your face when lighting a joint at a concert, or having to worry about your friends huddling around you to obscure others' line of sight to you when sparking that obvious glass piece at a show. Resin Grill Respirator's Canna Concert Face Mask is revolutioning the concert experience. Get baked, not busted. So listen, when uh, when I talked to the guys that sent them to yo, hey, you're puffing Sorry. on the air, buddy. We're Sorry. on the clock Sorry. here. Sorry. When I was when I was approached about this, I was actually blown away, man, because I had I probably had about five or six different um, cartridges already that my brother gives me because he winds up getting samples from his dispensary. And I was like, all right, cool. If you if you say this is what it is, then, you know, shoot one my way and let me try it. And obviously I did. And I, I was blown away. I was blown away. Like I actually went through the whole thing. I ripped through it. But I can't believe that somebody didn't think about this already. Absolutely. Said the same thing when I saw it. This has got to be the coolest product of the early 2021. I mean, absolutely coolest product I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I was a little a little uncertain about how uh, because the mask was and I didn't I don't have it anymore. But the mask sort of came to a point and I was wondering how you were going to actually get a, a something in to screw that in there and actually hold it. But like I said, it was it's this little rubber thing. So it, it's actually just a bendable battery. And all you need the battery for is to actually light what it is that you're igniting, which is that oil piece. Mm -hmm. And it works like a charm. And every time you blow out, it didn't it didn't blow out smoke. It almost stopped the smoke from coming out and it blew out all of the at, my, at the time. I think it was strawberry I was using. And it just sort of like a strawberry vapor came out. And I was like, holy shit. So, man, I don't I don't I don't know. Resin Grill Respirators, thank you so much for hooking us up with that. Um, we'll probably do a video maybe um, in the coming weeks of us kind of showing how it works and stuff like that because we didn't get a chance to demo it tonight. But, you know, those guys were badass. And, and obviously anybody who's going to be involved in cannabis is probably going to be hitting us up for some some sort of a uh, um, a commercial spot. So thanks so much to Resin Grill Respirators and their, uh, their can of concert guys. face mask. Great product. So, you know, we've got a few people hanging out here right now. And, you know, as you folks may or may not know, we don't really go to the comments section until after um, we've talked about what we talked about. So we kind of glazed over some things. I'm just going to go run back and see who showed up tonight. We've had we don't really have a buttload of people on here, but I really think a lot of the folks that are coming out here are, are, are really watch us kind of after the fact. And so it doesn't necessarily matter whether you're live or whether you watch us later. As long as you watch us, we're cool with that. Um, so we got Jesus here. Using a cannabis is my mojo, man. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's Absolutely. exactly what we're talking about. I think, Ken, you spoke on, uh, a little bit on that earlier, where I think if if I didn't have the ability to um, use too many words to describe what music was for me, I would be able to just say time machine. Because right. really, music is just one of those things that, like, if I hear it, you can almost smell where you were. You can almost see where you were. Um, and I'm someone with a really good fucking memory and I can, I can get there and, and it's, and, and it's probably why I'm so, um, 
I don't know what, what, what the word I'm looking for, but, you know, I'm always able to recall the past simply because I have such great memories of it. And also probably because, like you said, you and I were very, very big music people. And it tends to sort of bookmark pieces and parts of my life where, you know, like I can say, you know, this is pre-Slipknot and this is, you know, definitely pre-ACDC. I wasn't listening to ACDC at that time. It's just one of those weird things where you can kind of bookmark your life on it. Right. Bobby McClain, what's up? What's good, Bob and Ken, man? going on bobby sparkles sounds like cannabis helped create yeah uh new types of music i guess i it guess did. absolutely it did i mean it, there jazz. was i mean jazz in of itself i mean it, that pretty much the creation was made from that and looking at stuff dylan did as well i mean that those were trailblazers and they they attributed i mean you look at louis armstrong dizzy gillespie these guys all have plenty to say about how marijuana affects not affected affected them but in a, in a way that allowed them to open their minds to be able to produce this type of music so 100 percent, right and i and, you know and I, I think a lot of us can kind of get um you know when we're talking about the 60s maybe not so much the 70s but definitely the 60s a lot of lsd was involved in it but then again right. the lsd was almost synonymous with you know psychedelic rock which you know I, I suppose there's probably a few bands that you can drop in there that you wouldn't like dave clark five maybe they're fucking psychedelic to some people but they're definitely not to me but mm -hmm. you know jefferson airplane that's psych rock as far as i'm concerned there's there's a specific core of music that was based around lsd no but cannabis was everywhere of and course. you know of course. and probably yeah. in dean martin's you know ashtray you know and and yeah. it's one of those things that you like you said although miami was different um, because cocaine was the rich person drug and cannabis was sort of like the the, the servant drug um, back then. It, it, a lot of people tend to think of it that way, but I don't I don't think anybody I grew up with did. We were all smoking cannabis, man. All of us. You know, it was, it was part of you know, where you were in your life at that time, too, in Miami, because if you were kind of just running and gunning and doing your business thing and you were in that, you know, 25 to 35 year old range you more than likely were doing a lot of blow in miami in the 80s but yeah. you know where, where it was a lot of more of the teenagers and everyone else that was that uh, were, were more messing around with the cannabis i think i mean that's the way it, uh, we saw plenty of of both here so it's miami right. that we expected that to happen yeah dude for real Zeus, Jesus says he may, he hated them rolling machines i'm and i'll tell you God, I, that's, terrible, those things man i, I could I, never I get one to work properly yeah, thank you. Exactly what I just said. I never had one freaking work in my entire life. And you ask my brother Bill, it was a, it was if it, if I couldn't figure out how to roll it freehand, and maybe I was just too messed up to roll it. A dollar bill was always the best way to go. Although it was much harder to control the tightness when you use those, and right. you, you also had to lick a dollar bill at some point too. Which yeah, you were stuck you with know. that stubbies. You only got that width. You know what I mean? It was kind of right. hard to get those long fatties out there. Everything kind of squished in. And you wound up with that pregnant joint that was real fat in the middle. Yeah. And that's me all day long i was rolling those those pregnant joints terrible or you get the, you get the fake one where you have to get it so loose so that the ends you can actually just kind of like go like that with it and right, it shakes right. out and the then end, and then you it. <laughs> that sucker in there real good <laughs> you're ready to roll oh man <laughs> those were the days um well you know guys i just wanted to let you all know as of right now we're going to kind of just go off a little bit on some of the live music that i think we've seen um, so we appreciate you guys hanging out up to this point for some of the meat of it. But, uh, you know, if you got some place to be or, you know, you don't want to listen to us talk about concert experiences, thanks for hanging out. But, um, as far as, you know, as far as I, my earliest concerts, I, I can probably, I'll go back to the, um, to the Cypress Hill one because it just, it was just so, it was just so cannabis forward. And really any show after that is what made me say, all right, it's okay smoking cannabis here because, 
I guess there might have been some shows beforehand, or maybe I was with a family member and I couldn't smoke cannabis. But but really, I would say virtually all the shows I've been to, I've had cannabis in me, or someone had it. And uh, I've been to a lot of concerts. And and as I said, that 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 uh that Cypress Hill show was just the one that made me say, "Damn, I need to bring a joint to every show now." That doesn't make any sense to not do that. Right. Uh, it's it, it doesn't matter if nobody's talking like be real. It doesn't really make a difference. Um, you know, I I just. I just, I don't know. There's just something about it, man. And I, I understand it, it's people say that, oh, why would you go to a concert when you can listen to it at home? If that's the case, you truly don't understand what live music is. Right. You know, the, the experience of not only seeing it live, but having people just being surrounded by thousands of people who are on this almost exact same wavelength you are on at the same exact time, possibly saying the same exact words, possibly hitting the joint at the same time, because that's the time they tell you to hit the joint in the song. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a it's such a micro, it's just a big ass conglomeration and, and mess of, of memory at one point in time and stimulation. It's kind of hard not to incorporate the two. And I tell you what, over the uh, over the um, the course of the years, I've never had anybody look at me sideways for sparking up, except for one concert. And I don't really understand why I can't. Oh, you know what it was? It was Boston, Boston, the hyperspace tour at Fiddler's Green Amphitheater, I want to say six years ago and in, in, uh, out here in Denver. And I was getting ready to light a joint up and I got a tap on the shoulder. And I was like, dude, that was like a cop tap because we all know what a cop tap is. And I turn around and the guy's like, uh-uh. And I go, the fuck you mean, uh-uh, man? This is, I looked around for a second, like, where am I, dude? Like, all right, I'm, I'm at a Boston concert. Smoking is coming up because I'm a fucking set list asshole. So I know for a fact smoking is coming up. What is this guy tapping me on the shoulder? He goes, I didn't pay good money to come here and get stoned because of your weed problem. Oh my God. And I went, oh fuck, dude. Like, and and so and the look he had in his eye was was reality. Like I didn't think he was lying to me either. I felt like maybe he was just like that one cop undercover who just really loved Boston and hated weed. And I don't think I sparked up for about 10 minutes. And then after smoking started kicking in, I turned around and lit it in front of him. And was like, sorry, dude, I've got a med card. If you got a problem, go get a cop. <laughs> Boom. But it's just one of those things where I couldn't, I couldn't, it didn't make any sense to me. How do how could you not incorporate cannabis? At least having to understand that you're gonna have to deal with that when you go to a concert. And most no. people aren't blowing it in your fucking face. You know what I mean? Of course. They might no. pass it to you. You know, I've never not had a joint passed to me at a concert at Red Rocks, and I've been to a lot of concerts at Red Rocks. And that just seems to be like the thing, like don't smoke cigarettes in the crowd, asshole, go out there and right. pass a joint. If you have one, do you know what I mean? Like right. Right. that's what how the rules are, man. And I, I, got a, go I got a similar one with, uh, with, with being at a show where I wasn't able to smoke. And what's crazy is it was the freaking Doobie brothers. How do you not smoke at the Doobie brothers? What was so the venue? Was, you know, what's all right. What was the venue? Where was it at? Sunrise Musical Theater. Oh, that doesn't make was, any sense. Either. No one's ever been to that up in Broward County. It doesn't exist anymore. I think it's a church now. But back in the day, they did a few few. You know, I saw a few shows there, and I'd smoked in there plenty. It's in an area of Broward County where it's mostly older folk, so you've got a lot of that going on. Um, so you got all these ushers that are generally older. So we're getting in there, me and my buddy, and we we pop our joint out. We're getting ready to light up, but we kind of peek around. We're like, all right, we don't smell it. I don't see anybody smoking around here. And I kind of peek over to our right. We're close to the, the aisle. And sitting right there is an usher, an older lady, you know, just sitting there. You know, like my grandma sitting right there. And, I, and 
my buddy's like, Man, I can't light this thing up with Estelle Getty sitting right next to me. I'm like, it's crazy. It's not, it's not the right spot for this. I'm like, it's the fucking Doobie Brothers, man. We got to be able to light up, man. You serious? And we sat a little while longer, went a song or two more, and nobody, no scent, no smell, no nothing, and ushers everywhere you could see. And it just, we, we wound up not lighting up. And it, it was, I'm sorry to say, the worst concert that I feel like I've ever been to. And it wasn't just because we couldn't smoke. I just, I felt like the set list kind of sucked. The whole night was off. It was just, it was uh-huh. just, but damn, the Doobie Brothers, bro. Was, oh, so man. was Michael McDonald there with them? I'm sorry? Was Michael McDonald singing with them? No, no, this was after McDonald left. Yeah, I know he just rejoined. They're playing again together. But no, at that time, there was no Michael McDonald. I was going to say that. So that A right there is a big problem. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. without Michael McDonald, that's really sort of that's like... That's why they were at the Sunrise Musical Theater in the right. <laughs> arena. They weren't at American Airlines or whatever Miami Arena might have been exactly. at the time. Yeah, exactly. You got it. That's, that's crazy. You know what? And I and it was funny because I... Shout out to my... Uh, shout out to brother, our brother that we obviously... We grew up with, Jay. And I, and I know I wanted to use this shot for all of that because and there's a bob with no beard by the way that there's know, a bob with no beard in there look that's at that crazy Stole man that little baby face damn <laughs> it right here too wow that's just starting that's a just just beginning the, the yeah beginning. that was right after the, the dolphins cowboys game where i started growing that beard because of that bet wow. but you know it was it it just became obviously became synonymous with everything and and i remember kind of i think up until this point jay goes with me to almost every concert i go to I love you, Jay. We all love you, Jay Bednell. Um, and we averaged at one point up until COVID, we averaged about five or six concerts a freaking year. Obviously, you probably right. helped with that average too out in Spain and, and right. other places. Right. Um, but I, I start. I was saying to myself, damn, you know, I've been here 13 years. I've been to easily 50 concerts. There's no way I've been to anywhere near that many concerts in Miami, Florida. And then I dug out my, my stubs and it turns out bullshit. Uh, I went to a lot more concerts than I gave myself credit for. Like this whole stack right here, I think I can. Uh, I, I think I can turn my background off for a second. But it, it's it's amazing how many people actually came through the uh, Miami, Florida concert scene. That oh yeah, you know, really it, it it didn't seem like that was actually the, the case. It almost felt like that didn't happen. But this whole stack, and it starts off with Robert Plant, July fourteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Wow. Uh, and that wasn't my first concert. And so I'm going to ask you, as I go through Slayer, Fleetwood Mac, Beastie Boys, Tesla, Ozzy, U2, um, dude, Kiss, everything. Um, my very, very first concert was in the Orange Bowl, um, 1986, Michael Jackson victory with the Jackson 5. Wow. Uh, my sister-in-law, Taryn, had gotten me uh, – tickets because i think that show was right october 16th my birthday is the day before halloween so it was sort of like fell within the month and i remember that being the first concert was very nervous to go because a huge michael a huge michael jackson fan obviously so was everybody in the friggin' world at, at the time um but i remember that being one of the concerts that i wasn't smoking cannabis at because i was with my sister-in-law and i probably wasn't smoking cannabis at the time if i'm being honest i was very young but what was your you said your first concert was um America and Three Dog Night. At the, I mean, that was one of the, you know, it wasn't I didn't choose to go to. It was one, hey, we're bringing you to this concert as, you know, parents kind of just drag you along to things. Um, so that that was where I kind of got that from. But the first one that I really, really remember, like, this is where I want to go. I want to go to the show. I really want to be there. I was too young to kind of go to shows on my own. Uh, so my mother 
joined me to go see Iron Maiden's Somewhere on Tour, original tour. And what was that, 1985, 1986, oh somewhere in 87? Right in that range there. Uh, that, that was the first show that I absolutely – I was not going to miss – you mentioned Jay. He was, you know, he was the guy I was going to go with. He has family had a ski trip planned. And so he was out of town. He missed that show because of that ski trip. He's probably cursing right now, listening and remembering the fact that he didn't oh, shit. And I went with my mother to this show. And I give that lady a whole ton of credit for having done that. She said the visuals were incredible, but she couldn't hear for three weeks. At the time, it was the <laughs> loudest concert at Hollywood Sportatorium. Uh, just a decibel wise. It was wow. Like, that show was at the Snortatorium, dude. Right. Oh, the Snortatorium. And um, I think ACDC wound up playing the last concert there that they just literally blew the roof off the thing decibel wise. So they, they beat out the Maiden concert for, for sound, but she was impressed by the, by the visuals. Uh, I don't know if you remember that tour. They had a, they had a pretty, pretty badass stage and yeah. uh, the set list was ridiculous for someone who was, uh, you know, a, a fairly new Iron Maiden fan at that time for me. Yeah. <laughs> I had you actually had the most important music right there in front of you. Iron Maiden at the time and got laughed at a lot. But uh, at the end of the day, that show uh, turned me into a diehard Maiden fan, which is why to this day, you know, we, we literally travel wherever they go. Our, our vacations are based on where Iron Maiden is. We've seen them now in Madrid. We've seen them in Geneva. Uh, it's, you know, all over the States. And it's just, it's fun. It's so much fun to be able to, especially experience it in other countries with, with, with other folks that are out there just enjoying the same music as you. And, you know, we're in Spain and we might not speak the same language, but we're all singing the same lyrics and we're all with our arms around each other, jumping and dancing and having fun and, Definitely not dancing. Iron Maiden fans don't know how to dance, but we jump around a lot. And, uh, <laughs> He's fucking getting it done, bro. <laughs> we try to do the best we can not to embarrass ourselves, but it really doesn't matter because there's only like seven chicks there, so we're usually yeah. pretty good with that. And it was cool because we got first to the barrier for those Maiden fans out there to know it's what that is. Uh, for, for fan club members of this band, another reason why they're such a great band to take care of their fans oh, is yeah. that they they do what's called first to the barrier. So they allow fans that have tickets already, general admission to their shows, to apply for a first to the barrier, which allows 100, generally about 100 fans or so, to get in before everybody else. So you are right there at the front. And you have to kind of write something as to why you think you deserve to be there. So for us coming from the States to go see them in Geneva and to go see them in Madrid, one every time. And they don't tell you until 24 to 48 hours before the actual show. So here we are in, you know, in Europe, and we're just kind of getting there and getting our bearings. And I get a text, scream my head off, and run into Jay. I was like, "Where? Are you? Oh my God! We got first to the barrier!" And, and for two shows, for both the Geneva shows and the Madrid show, we were pressed right up against the front. Couldn't have been any closer. Just two of the greatest concerts I've ever been to. I mean, for the spot, obviously, but a lot more was definitely for, for the music and who that band is and the company. Jay's a great guy to see shows with, as you already know. Yeah, there, we've got – I think we could do a whole show just on Jay going to the concerts with us. Right. Like, I, right. There's one, I have a very – weeks we might actually have a guest spot with jay you know we're teasing jay a little bit on this show yeah, let's see if we can get him in there and there's uh dr russell's in these pictures as well by the way yeah man uh, I, I, I had to throw this up not me jay or bob <laughs> i had to throw these up obviously because as i'm looking at this i'm i'm saying you know we've got up here 2012 2014 2016 and because of jay badnell we have all the awesome shirts 
and we managed to somehow they're all his they're all his and actually didn't he give them to us i think after this 2016 show he's like just take them so the next time we go we all wear them because i right. have i have the killers one in my room for sure so yes, i think so he gave them to us one yep but uh that that, right, that picture right there is really sort of like you know, and it was important to, for me to put that together because it wasn't really about the fact that we went to Maiden, although it really was. It was it was it was the fact that, you know, all the history that we have together as neighbors, friends growing up, um, first listening to those uh, bands on vinyl and then obviously have, being able to be at a point in our lives where we can go see these bands together again and again and again. And which is pretty crazy. When you see the correlation of groups of people that kind of band together like that to, to do things like this, it, it kind of blends a little bit, you know, because cannabis has that as well, you know, where it's it, it's kind of it's a group thing. It's something yeah. that it's social. It's something that, you know, if you're smoking and someone's smoking and of course, COVID's changing a lot of this, but but generally it's something that becomes a social thing. Music is the same way. I mean, yeah. when you get people that are like-minded and we like the same kind of music and you have those same kind of feelings when you hear this music, when you kind of go together with a group of people to shows like that, it just, it feels so much better. You just, you're experiencing this number one for yourself in front of what you're watching, the yeah. visual, the audio, mm -hmm. but, but then from there to know that you're, you're with your best buddies, man, you can just turn around and give them a high five and throw your arm around them and start jumping up and down together and just singing at the top of your lungs as yeah. loud and terrible as you can. But it doesn't matter because there's 50,000 other people doing the same thing all around you. And it's it's just an incredible feeling, and it is a, a sense of camaraderie, both within the cannabis world and and also within music. And to kind of blend those two together, it, it's as far as people that say, okay, hey, what do you like to do with your free time? What do you like to do for fun? You know, that's that would be my description. You know, to, to be yeah. with people I care about, to listen to music that really moves me, and 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 to just feel like you're just a part of something with a group of people that kind of are, are, are like-minded. And it, it, I believe you can, I attach that, especially this kind of memory where we're, we're talking about decades and decades of knowing each other. It is that time travel thing. It's that feeling you get when it's like, you can be at Jay's room with the big giant bottle cap that, that I couldn't apparently never flick and, and listen and be listening to that music and, and go back to those times and, and, but look at each other and be like, damn, we're older now. This is fucking crazy. Like, you know, it's really the reason why I continue to go to concerts. And I understand now, and I'm not going to lie, it's really me sort of going and purchasing a section of my memory and going to try and find a way to grab that memory and hold on to it for a period of time and right. experience the past right. for a little bit. And, 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 and maybe it's worth money, maybe it's not. Um, I, I, the most money I've ever spent for one ticket was $300 for the Misfits. I did that um, a couple years ago, but it was all the original members with Dave Lombardo drumming. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, I'm going to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's what makes it so subjective. But, you know, it's it's just that, that feeling of being able to capture something from the past. And I know a lot of the shows I've been to, are, are we all have a lot of different kinds of music that we listen to. Because in Miami, we were influenced by a lot of shit. Right. There's a, a specific kind of music that I know you've gone to see in concert that has a big culture attached to it. So why don't you speak on that? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, when I got into college, I went away um, up to USF in Tampa and in just kind of being up there and, and starting to meet new people kind of got away from my group of friends. I went up there by myself, didn't know anybody. So 
just started meeting people, went up there with, you know, at least two ounces of Miami Bud. So I'd be okay for a little while till I found what I needed. Um, that in of itself obviously helped me uh, meet some people. So in doing that, I ran across a couple of girls who uh, were obviously quite cute. Not obviously, I shouldn't say that. They were cute. But beyond that, <laughs> beyond not that be the only reason I was there, that was the main reason I was there. But I, I would go to their apartment because I was living in a dorm. So they were across the way in an apartment, which was much cooler than the dorm. So we'd go hang out over there to smoke. I always had to be careful in the dorm. You know, you can't piss everybody off. So we would go to their place and smoke. They were big fish heads. They were listening to fish as fish was just not let's say coming out. I mean, they're a few years in, but they really weren't mainstream at all. And this, this was the early 90s. So we started to get into that type of music. I started getting into the dead, which they were into a little bit as well. And right around that time, uh, you know, Fish started touring. And, you know, you know how Fish toured. Fish would tour, I mean, city to city to city to city because they had literally people would follow them. So their, their tours were set up to where it would be easy for their groups of people to follow them as they went from show to show. What was neat about the fish shows that I thought was different than many rock shows I've been to in the past was just the intensity level of the crowds prior to the show starting. You would go out into the parking lots. Everybody was out in the parking lots. I, this is something, you know, you'd get out of your car, maybe you'd hang out, you'd drink or smoke a little bit, and you walk in the show. This was not that. I mean, people were setting everything up. There were You could buy food and drinks. You could get any kind of drug or alcohol you wanted anything in these i mean it was just malls of stuff you could buy goods and sweaters and people make <laughs> stuff and it was just like I mean, people going around with goo balls what the fuck's a goo ball i mean there's just all types of stuff that i had no idea goo ball by the way is just like a bunch of peanuts and chocolate and stuff all squished together with a bunch of marijuana in it so you eat that sucker and you're just okay and a little little while later so goo balls were big especially if made well <laughs> um wow. but, but you get so many different groups of people uh you know, jay for instance would, would look at that and be like okay those are like hippie yuppies because they were like a younger crowd than the dead crowd was, but they had money. So a lot of them would just be kind of out there, you know, Trustafarians or whatever people wanted to call them. So you'd have those people out there in their nice cars doing their thing, listening to fish music. And then you'd have the hippies running around. The grossest thing at a fish show, can I catch a spill of your beer? Like literally a dude would walk around with a big cup and ask just for you to put just a spill of your beer into his cup, which would be filled with like, I don't know, 50 different backwashes of beer. Does it get more disgusting than that? So anyway, that was pretty gross. But on the flip side of it all, you had some weird characters, but it was so peaceful. I mean, there wasn't even a hint of an argument, a fight, nothing along those lines would you see at these shows, which, you know, it's some of the higher energy shows and alcohol was generally to blame for a lot of that. You yeah. would see a little bit more aggression. It just didn't exist. It just doesn't exist at these shows. You've got guys walking around with garbage bags, cleaning stuff up. You've never seen a place be so clean afterwards. They did their millennial show out in Big Cypress. They had It was the largest millennial show, actually, in the world. There was no show bigger than what Fish did in Big Cypress, which was basically in the Everglades of Florida. For, uh, for And they played all night. So they played a couple days. And then on New Year's, they went on at about 10 o'clock at night, and they played until the sun came up. It was absolutely ridiculous. So Damn, as far as a just a festival, I mean, that was insane. This was the kind of band that I was interested in now. They would play four nights in a row at Madison Square Garden for their New Year's sets. And for four nights of music, you'd never hear the same song twice. You could go on tour with this band and you could go weeks and not hear the same song twice. 
Their catalog was ridiculous. They would improvise like crazy. And if you want to talk about a jam band that would take so much from their music and other people's music and just to be able to sample and play with the extension of time and rhythm, to me was amazing. There would be times where I'd get lost a little bit. I'd be like, where are these guys, man? They're losing me even right now. But then they took <laughs> it all back together and that crescendo was just so good. It just felt so good. And, you know, I, look, I got a lot of friends that don't like this band. Uh, I'm, I'm in the minority in my friend group in general. Uh, but this, to me, just musically, talent-wise, the, the, in, the innovation I, this is one of my absolute favorite bands in that sense. And it brings, a, to me, a different feeling when I hear Fish than maybe when I'm jamming out to Maiden. But what's crazy is I could listen to all of it together. I could just have a loop going and just, you play what you want for me. I'm good. I'm good with it all. I can get into any of those moods real quick. Did they, um, <clears throat> did they start off as a, uh, a dead cover band? No, no, actually, Fish did not. They, okay. they were. All, I've, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people say that's not true, and I, I don't not, really know. It's not. They, they obviously had influences in the sense of being a jam band, but Fish actually broke up for a while in the late 90s, early 2000s, because after Jerry died from Grateful Dead, um, there was a lot of deadheads that started to come over to the Fish side of things, not for the music, but for the community. And they wanted to start touring because that's what they did with the dead. And they literally made their lives off of this. When the dead wasn't touring, they would be hanging out, you know, Height, Ashbury, all those things back in the day. That's what these people would do. And they would make their wares to sell on the road or their food or their whatever they were going to do. They would gear up and that's where they'd make their money. So that group kind of came over and followed the fish heads around. And really, fish fans didn't like them. Those were the guys essentially that were catching spills of beers and being the kind of the dredge of the groups. And Fishheads didn't like it. The band will never admit that that's why they broke up. They'll, to this day, they said it was just musical differences at the time. They did their own thing for a little bit and did, and did get back together. But to me, 100%, their motive was to lose that group. Wow. Yep. That's pretty intense, man. Yep. And so it worked. Typically losing worked. a target audience on purpose. Yep. No, it really was. And I, and I don't think they were trying necessarily to brush anybody off. But at the same time, if you had 50, I don't know, I'll give you a number. If you had 50,000 people showing up to a venue that hold, that held 35,000 people, I mean, at the end of the day, you got a bunch of people that had no intention of going to the show. I mean, unless yeah. someone was going to give them a free ticket, they weren't spending money on the band. They weren't buying merchandise. They weren't doing any of that. So really for the band... You know, I get it. I understand it. And if their fans were the ones not wanting to deal with it, the, the, the band was great. I saw the bassist for, for Fish on a couple of occasions just riding his bike through the through the parking lots before the show. And this is how the band was. They, it, they'd come out in costume sometime. They would just try to look like, you know, they just wanted to check the crowd out but not get mobbed. So right. they'd kind of do something like that. The bassist was a little more unassuming kind of guy. So not everybody was like, oh, man, there's Mike Gordon. You know, not everybody knew who he was. But we had a couple of chances to actually sit and talk with him for a little while. The band is just super cool. They love their fans. You know, they do all of this for their fans. And yeah. the music, just the musicians individually, and even people who don't like it, friends of mine tell me, hey, man, they are good musicians. They just don't like it when it's all together because it does get very loose. It does jump around a lot. And that yes, you might listen to 37 minutes of one song. Yeah, that is my that is my opinion. And and I think at some point, um I, I went because of thank you know, shout out to Brian Parsons. Because of Brian Parsons, if it wasn't for him sort of hammering the dead into my head, 
Um, I believe that was probably like in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, cruising around College Park Inn in his Civic. He would, you know, be like, I would be putting on Allison Chains Wood, and he's like, "All right, dude, how about this bouncing around the room, dude?" And I'm like, "All right, like I'll listen to that, dude." And fucking pleaser with a tweezer or whatever. So there was a lot of stuff. Like, that, actually, that was the 52 minute song. I saw them in in Minnesota, Mud Island Amphitheater. I'm sorry, Minnesota. What am I talking about? Mud Island Amphitheater in Tennessee, right in the middle of the Mississippi River. This 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 venue, badass, by the way. If you ever wow. had a chance, amphitheater called Mud Island Amphitheater in in, in Memphis. And we saw Fish at this show, and a bunch of my buddies were just wasted that day. So I was going to be the sober guy. So in this show, they played a 52-minute song, and it was Tweezer that you just mentioned. So that is no longer one of my favorite songs from Fish. I don't ever want to hear it again. How in the fuck do you play for 52 minutes the same damn song? That, that to me, is way too much. So even that yeah. band, who I do love, can sometimes take it a little too far. They must have been on something really, really good that night. <laughs> or they're just like, you know what, man? Who cares? Roll with it. And I think that's really sort of the freedom. If you have the ability to have a, a musical act where you can do that and then be accepted at the same time, I don't believe there's really anything greater because all, you, you find that most most artists are artists in the fact that they want someone to understand their art, appreciate their art, love their art in some way. And normally you can't do that in the encapsulation of like a two and a half minute single that you're trying to sell and, uh, you know, appease uh, um, record labels, which obviously is sort of falling by the wayside now at this point. But to be able to be a band that's like, I can take that song and stretch to 52 minutes and someone's still going to wait four days to come live to see it. That's still, that's pretty crazy. If I'm not, I know that I think they were, I think they were, I don't know if banned from coming to Red Rocks, but they weren't allowed to come to Red Rocks for a significant amount of time. I think because I, I and I, I don't really know. I, I didn't do the research, so I don't want to spit this out. But I feel like because things weren't getting cleaned up, or because there's also sort of a problem with Red Rocks where you can climb over another side of it and get in, but people were fucking hurting themselves or something like that. Um, I can see that. Being but they, they were they were pulling residencies here for sure. You know, just yeah. sort of like uh, what's the other band that I hear um, that they always are connected to them? Um, uh, the string cheese incident. String cheese. There you go. Thank you. And I'm sure that's another sort of stereotypical thing as well. Like you know, right. I, maybe there's a massive difference between those two bands, but there you know, is actually. Yeah. But they, they do get they do get correlated a little bit from time to time. I think. You know, it's, also, sorry. No, I'm just. I just think as like you were saying, there's very, very few bands that even existed at that time that people followed from city to city to city to city. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's why that's because they're not playing the same songs over and over. Most right. bands get a set list and that's it. I mean, those times we saw those Iron Maiden shows I mentioned over and over again. Jay, Jay and I have seen the same show like five times. That Legacy of the Beast show, we we've seen that show like five times. The same yeah. exact show. I mean, it's the, even even the the banter. The only thing that was different is in Geneva, he spoke in French. So it was, that was the, that, which was pretty cool, actually. He came out speaking in French. He's like, okay, I'm going to speak French today. I mean, in Switzerland, a lot of people speak French. So that worked. Obviously, for us, Green goes, we had no idea what the fuck he was saying. So we got to the Spain. So on the same tour, we saw the Spain show towards the end of our trip. And we're like, oh, great. He's going to speak Spanish now. And again, we're not going to know what the fuck he's saying. So he comes out, Bruce comes out, and he you know, says hi to everybody, everything. He goes, so my Spanish really sucks, so I'm going to speak English tonight. I was like, yes, we're going to understand them. But, yeah, you know, Bruce, Bruce. Teacher, by the way, Bruce Dickinson, who knows how to speak French fluently and uh, just such a, 
such a smart, just great dude, you know? What a, what a great guy with a great fucking band and still a great voice, man. I was going to make a mention a little earlier before I forget this thought that, you know, I did see Grateful Dead and I saw the Grateful Dead because of those two girls that I met in Tampa. They were they wanted to go up to RFK in, in D.C. to see Dead. They were, a Sting was opening two nights in a row, Sting and Dead. I'm a huge Sting fan, so I was like, already I'm on board with this. Going up there to that show really opened my eyes to something crazy. I mean, just to see that the, the size, I mean, at RFK, it was the old RFK. I mean, yeah. humongous parking lot, huge areas of just people everywhere. The drum circle, which was under an overpass, so it had the echo in there, was intense. I mean, absolutely intense drum circles. That feeling, that vibe was so cool it was like nothing i've ever felt not even at a fish show it was times 20 at the dead show it was just intense the sights the sounds the smells the just all of it just put together something that is it's right there in my head i can always put myself there and even walking in i had lost my friends i was with those girls i lost everybody and i just walked into my own i didn't want to miss sting they were saying they didn't care too much i was like fuck that i'm going in i'm seeing sting and getting in there there was not maybe half full for Sting, you know, people were into it. I was into it. I loved it. And then, you know, lights went down. I kind of tried to find my friends. Couldn't find my friends. They came on. Dead came on. First time I've ever seen them. Lights went down immediately. You just feel the vibe. As soon as the lights go down, everybody's in this new kind of just intense mode at the stage thinking about what's going to be played next because they don't play with the they play a loose set too you have no idea what's coming up and the yeah. very first song the dead play is Ico. you know something at least i know something i can look at like hey, i know this song but it scared the fuck out of me i ain't gonna lie i've never been in a concert where i got scared i was scared like just the looks in everyone's faces and they were all dancing and their eyes were closed and they were spinning and just i mean everybody happy but just way out there i mean even for me a college kid at the time i was like these people are fucked up man i'm everywhere i look i don't know if i i don't even know if i fit in at this place so i think i watched like half the show from that spot and kind of found a much quieter area of the arena uh the next night went a little better for me but the whole point of that was that i got to see grateful dead and i got to see jerry garcia before he passed and that yeah. was the last tour actually it ended with a tampa show that i saw as well on that same show on that same tour so to be and Black Crows open for them, another one of my favorite bands. So so that was really cool. Um, but but just to be able to have been there to see Jerry live and to see what that band does live. Of course, they've never done it in that manner since Jerry's passed. Uh, you know, similar similar to Led Zeppelin. But being able to see that, I thought was really cool. You know, I never got to see The Doors before Jim Morrison died, or Bob Marley live, or Jimi Hendrix, and so many musicians that I have a great affinity for and a great respect for that I wish I could have seen live. And it tells you how much that means seeing live music to recorded music for the fact that you wish you could see certain people or you're jealous that other people got to see certain people live. Yeah. You know, that goes somewhere with this. And especially as musicians we grew up with are getting older and a lot of them are trying to get out there and play a little more. I encourage people, go see these people absolutely support them and what they're trying to do. Some of them don't sound exactly the same anymore, but at the end of the day, this is the music that we kind of came up with. And these are musicians that are just still trying to put the music out there. You know, live music's being replaced everywhere by DJs and tracks and no, nobody, we don't, just don't get live music anymore. You know, the last trip for me to, to New Orleans was incredibly eye-opening because just door to door to door, there was a live band in every single bar you tried to walk into. 
you know, and here in Miami, it just it, it's fewer and far between. And anytime there is live music, I want to support it, no matter what it is. If you're playing yeah. an instrument, I'm impressed already. I don't care if you're playing Christian rock or Spanish rock or something I don't understand. You know, you're playing an instrument, you already got a, a leg up on anyone else for me that can just do it with a machine. <laughs> what the hell? Yo, the sign is real simple, dude. It says, back it up. I went long. I went long. <laughs> Holy shit, producer. I mean, we're talking about getting rough here, dude. You could have just said, uh, giving me a signal or something. Fuck. Uh, really, real quick, what what I wanted to ask real quick before we left, and because I, I have a few of these. Um, we talk about the things that we, the shows that we've been blessed enough to go to. Is there a, is there a band that you wish you had been able to see that you had the opportunity to, but passed up and had no longer have the ability to see them? I, I don't know if it's a, an ability thing, um, but I will say Ozzy. I've had tickets three different times to see Ozzy Osbourne, and he's canceled the shows, whether it was an Ozfest that was canceled or a couple of just in the, his most recent tour I had tickets for that was canceled again. So, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not a huge, like, diehard Ozzy fan. I have a ton of respect for him. Obviously, Bark of the Moon, Ultimate Sin, a couple of my favorite albums ever. So, He's a badass in my eyes, and I would love to have had the opportunity. I'm say have had because I don't know if he's ever going to make it out on tour again. But if he does, I definitely would like to try to see Ozzy live. I, I, I would go with that one. I'd say uh, Jakey Lee's guitar solo on Bark of the Moon is my all-time favorite guitar solo of all time ever, forever, no matter 100%. what. I'm talking about the solo and the outro at the end. It's the one of the greatest pieces of work I've ever heard in my life. Now, all That's respect to Randy Rhodes as well. And that that's, you know, and, and respect to Ozzy for having literally at a time where, you know, he wasn't the best musician on the stage, <laughs> both, both when Lee and when, when Rhodes were there, you know, those were the better musicians. Those were the guys that really made that band. I'm not taking anything from Ozzy, obviously great songwriter, great singer, but, but, but those guitarists, I mean, you, you couldn't have found better at the time. My favorite Aussie lineup is the Speak of the Devil, uh, Speak of the Devil with Tommy Aldridge. Aldridge is one of my favorite drummers of all fucking time. And that live version of The Wizard is one of my all-time mm. favorite versions of that song just because of how busy Tommy Aldridge stays in the background just fucking going crazy on top of what uh you know, on top of what was already laid over. Right. But Talk about improvisation and trying to add more to the same standard of music. Talking about that earlier, I mean, just seeing how guys even in rock can do that and add add something to to what someone else has already laid down. And then having uh, the badass Rudy Sarzo there on bass, but then having to pluck Brad Gillis from Night Ranger and <laughs> drop him and say, hey, hey, who's the guy, Mr. Gillis? Come here, you play the crazy train for me? And he's going to be like, yeah, man, I'll fucking play it for you. And he has to learn it. And he, he so wasn't that metal guy. But he slapped some like purple and peach leather on him or something for that tour, man. And he went out there and beat ass, dude. Like he that that's a really, really good live Aussie band. Um, the band that I would say, and, and I would this is a two-part a two-part answer. I had the ability to go see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at Red Rocks, and I passed it up. Uh, I guess maybe the only time, and I, I, I say the reason why I pass up a concert is because I already have four that I'm already going to, and you can ask Jay. We had to just pick who we wanted to see. That at some point you can't go see every concert that comes through Denver. It's insane how many people come through here. Right. Uh, so I had to pass that one up, and then you know Tom Petty, Tom Petty passes away, and then That's I right. tour. good tour by the way. Literally one of yeah. his. I saw him about eight, nine times in my oh, life. Tom is one of my favorite artists ever. And that last tour, to have that be your 40th year anniversary tour, 
and literally to sound better than any other tour that he's ever done. I mean, the music, the arrangements, the yeah. lights, he stepped it up so much. I don't mean to rub it in that you missed the tour, but no. I, I brought a couple friends actually on that show. Uh, my good buddy, Rich and, and, and JC, uh, two guys that, you know, I met when I was in college that are also huge music fans. They had never seen Tom Petty live before. And I really pushed them. Like, we're going to the show. You're going to the show with me. And man, did they love it, appreciate it. And obviously even more so after Tom passed and, uh, just not to, to be able to hear him again is, you know, that man had 10, 15 more years of concerts left in him with his style of music and his voice and his, that range that just where he's kind of stayed in his place all the time with, with his music and his sound. Uh, just, oh man, what a, what a musician and what a loss, man. What a loss. The catalog is, is fucking stagger, is staggering, dude. Like it, Ridiculous. you think that you are going to run out of songs that you know by Tom Petty, dude, you realize there's like 45 more right. that you can listen to. And right. he could probably one of the, one of those guys where he does like a three day show and does not play the same song twice. He would be able you to pull it. that off. The, the other concert uh, I actually had tickets to um, was what uh, Soundgarden's recent reunion. And then Chris Cornell, uh, had committed suicide. So that was wow. sort of, although that was out of my power, I still find that to feel like it falls on the high regret list for me, along yeah. with passing up that Tom Petty show, man. You know, it's crazy with Cornell is I was never a fan. I wasn't a fan of Soundgarden or Cornell individually, to be honest with you at all. And for whatever reason, after he passed, I started listening a little bit harder and really, really realized that I think I missed the boat on that one, man. That dude has got an incredible voice, an incredible range. Uh, maybe it was just I wasn't a big fan of uh, of the bands in general. You know, yeah, wasn't you, you, you were a Soundgarden fan or Audio Slave fan. It was just like I wanted to hear more just kind of Chris. And maybe when I listened to him do some covers, there were some covers I heard him do that I thought were great. And I could just kind of break his voice out of it a little bit. Yeah. Man, seriously, that that's another great talent, and that's that's a shame to lose. But I, I never got to see him live, and I think I have a lot more respect for him now than I did when he was alive. I tell you what, man, and I'm not, I've said this to a lot of people. I've gotten shit for it, but for me, it goes Dio and Chris Cornell. Wow, and, and I understand. Wow. I understand Rob Halford, and I understand all. There's we're talking about a lot of great people that came before. I'm just talking about range, not only the range, but the ability to to not only. Because before him, nobody could scream and you could feel an emotion. It was more of a scream for an effect, but you could always feel the pain in Cornell's voice. And and even if it was some weird tunes here, you know, even like Birth Ritual and shit like that, like I can go back and I always loved his voice. I didn't always love Soundgarden, like you said, but to me, right. it was more because of the fans, I think. I right. punched him in with a lot of other sort of like things like that Seattle we Rock. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I did like Nirvana too. There's a lot of bands I like, but Alice, Alice is the best thing to come out of the Seattle movement from my yeah. eyes. Oh, no doubt. no doubt. Bar none. I can't hear I can't hear Chris Cornell's version of um um that Guns N' Roses song. Um Oh god, I heard that recently. It was Yeah, I can't terrible. hear it. Like, it's just no. it kills me. It's fucking daggers in my heart, dude. Like it's amazing how he takes that song and makes it like so legit, you know what yep. I mean? Like, yep. But uh, anyway, we are running super long. I, you know what? I, I don't even apologize. Fuck it. No. We told you guys this was going to happen. This is a music episode about cannabis. Did you guys expect pamphlet? I'm sweating though. Getting so excited. Yeah, for real, man. <laughs> and anyway. yes, man, I miss live music as you started the show out today talking about that. 
God, do I miss live music? And you can imagine the bands missing, you know, not being out there too and, and being, you know, to be able to do something like this and get out in front of a crowd to do the thing you love the most and not be able to do that right now has got to really suck. I can't wait to get back out on the music scene for sure. If it ever happens. Well, listen, I want to thank everybody that come that came and hang out, especially the folks that stayed this damn long. Uh, DC Pharrell Oat, uh, Sparkles, as always, thank you so much, one of our uh, graphic producers. And uh, hey, Andrew, thank you so much, man. I love this show. That's my buddy Mark, man. We go back a long Thanks, time. Andrew. Man. Andrew's a shit, man. I appreciate it. Uh, so anyway, man, we hope you enjoyed our little chat, man. We we, we tried to put the beef of the information at the beginning of it, and then we went a little freestyle at the end. And that's just something we're going to do every now and then. So um stay tuned for us uh next week i think we did come up with um sort of a rock solid um nice. theme for the fourth and final one right what, what was it that we landed on Ken? i think we're gonna go with cannabis cannabism wow look at that cannabism man there we go cannabis <laughs> and tourism holy shit i just made a word so cannabis that sounded more cannibalistic though so i don't know if we're <clears> gonna go that way so cannabis and tourism so we're gonna try to talk a little bit both domestically and internationally, and kind of how the legalization uh, within the states has kind of changed what cannabis tourism has be always was. Yeah, I can't I can't pr promise you how long this is going to run either, but um, I know that we uh, we're, we'll be able to talk a lot about it. I'll probably be taking the domestic portion, and Ken Man will be talking about the international portion. But there's a lot to cover. Yes. Uh, some negative and some positive. So, it's, you know, we're, we're definitely trying to not make this show be all rosy over here. We're trying to stay as real as possible. And there's some Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Take the good and the bad of everything. I mean, that's really what we're trying to look at. I mean, it's music and cannabis today, so there's really no bad. So everything's good today. This is why yeah. this show is so much fun to talk about. And we could just go on forever about it. But it's uh, it's been a great topic. And this look, the four-part series that we're doing wraps up next week. So that's going to kind of put a little bow on our on our 360 degrees of cannabis. And then we're going to work into our next series, going to come out the week after next. And uh, you'll just have to stay tuned next week to see where we're going next. No doubt. Ken, is there anything you want to say before we take off, man? Just thanks again for everybody for your support for the show. We've had a lot of fun doing it. It's going to get better. I promise you guys it will. We're, we're working hard every week to try to bring you something different. Um, and, and something new and something you guys can can enjoy, whether it's just listening to a couple of either old friends talk that, you know, or if you don't, we just uh, we want to invite you into what we do and make sure that, you know, you guys are a part of this, too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out and uh, we'll see you next week for the Casually Serious podcast. Have a good night. <laughs>